Um, hey, my name's Caleb. Glad you're here. Glad you're part of tonight. Um, man, I got something uh, that I'm just excited to share with you all. Uh, so the past, if you haven't been here the past few weeks, I'm going to catch you up really quickly. The past few weeks we've been talking about um, house rules and uh, what not what we like want you to do or the expe- expectations we have from you um, when you come here, but rather what we hope you come to expect and even pursue when you're here. And those, there's three of them. Um, rest, refocus, risk. We hope when you come here that you would be in a place where you could recognize um, that this is a place of rest, that you get to rest from the anxieties of uh, the day, maybe of your family dynamics. You get to rest from having to prove, some, prove to people that you're something that you, you may not actually be, that you can rest in who Jesus is, that we believe that Jesus um, is living and he's active and that he has something for you and that you would know that, that you would trust him, that you would find life in him, that you'd rest in that here, that there's no, like, like you'd recognize that you are accepted here and that you're loved. And then in your resting, that you would be able to refocus, that you'd be able to look at your life, look at the direction of your life and say, man, and allow Jesus to say, hey, here's where I'm calling you to focus. Don't focus on all these other things. Don't focus on these things that are um, distracting to you or actually pulling you down, but that you would refocus. And then out of that, here's the kicker, out of that, out of that resting, out of that refocusing, that in your identity and who Christ is calling you to be, that you would then go and take a risk. That you would risk, um, take a risk in your, in your neighborhoods, that you take a risk in your family, that you take a risk at your school, that you risk reputation, that you would risk comfort, that you would risk your pride, that you might even risk um, parts of your future that you think are the greatest parts, all for the sake of, of the gospel, which we know lasts longer than what we are pursuing, that we would risk it, that we would risk reputation for the sake of people's eternity. That, that we would risk our pride for the sake of someone not having to live in darkness, but coming to know who Jesus is and finding life in that. And so that's our hope, and that you would be able to then come back here and rest from risking it, and, and that you'd be refocused again, and that you'd go out. And so we've talked about these house rules. Now, now what you may think is when we say house rules, we actually mean within these walls. <clears throat> but really, this is a series of talks that I would give you even if we were at the park. Right, even if there was no walls, that I would tell you, man, hey, here are the house rules. Here are the rules from this house. Because when you come to God's word, what you find out is that the house, the spiritual house, actually looks a lot different than a building. And so that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Like, we're just going to conclude, conclude the series, kind of put a, a wrap on it. I'm going to try to be as quick as possible. But here's what I want to talk to you about. We've talked about the house rules, but I want to talk to you about the house that the rules uh, apply in. I want to talk about the house of the rules that apply in. And and here's the thing, is if you know Jesus in this room, like you're like, yeah, I place my faith in in Jesus and and, and I know he's forgiven me of my sin, that that, um, I know I am right with God only because of who Jesus is and what he's done for me. If, If that's you, then you need to understand that you make up a big part of the spiritual house. This guy, Peter, who was around Jesus when Jesus talked about, hey, here's what it looks like to rest, and, and here's what it looks like to refocus, and here's what it looks like to risk. And he, Jesus even called him to risk. He sent him out into the world to risk. This guy, Peter, he then goes and he finds a group of people kind of like this, like us together, and he says, hey, let me tell you 
Let me tell you something about the spiritual house. Let me tell you something about the house that, that these rules really uh, work in. And here's what he says. This is uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. In, in chapter 1, I'm going to catch you up real quick because you know, it's not going to make sense. First um, Peter chapter 1, the first part of his letter, he, he says, hey, what you understand is that the word of God lasts forever and that all the other things that, that the world wants to tell you to pursue will fade. But the word of God, it'll endure forever. It'll last forever. It can be trusted. It never changes. It is what it is forever. And you then can trust it and know that it's true, right? And, and we know that Peter was right. And here's why we know that Peter was right. Because he wrote that 2,000 years ago. And since then, all the people he spoke to are gone, and all the things they were pursuing are gone. And all the houses they lived in are gone. And, and the places they lived are, look totally different and are gone. <clears throat> the anxieties of that day, they're gone. The worries of that day are gone. The careers of that day, they're gone. But the word of God still remains. That what Peter says, even right now, is a testament that what he said was true. And so then he says in chapter 2, he starts it out like this. He says, therefore... Therefore, knowing that the word of God is true, he says, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and all envy and all slander. He says, rid yourself of all the things that you would use and that the world uses to make their own way in life. He says, man, rid yourself of all malice and, and anger. Don't, you don't have to fight your way through life. <clears throat> he says, rid yourself of hypocrisy, of making people think you're something that you're not. He said, rid yourself of envy and jealousy. Don't allow that to be the thing that actually fuels you in life and, and determines your decisions. Like how much of our life is, is fueled on jealousy, man? Like I'm jealous of the clothes they have and I'm jealous of the person, I'm jealous of the hair she has. I'm jealous of the grades they have. And so what do we do? It fuels us, it motivates us, our jealousy. He says, man, now get rid of that. Find a different motivation because the word of God lasts forever. Therefore, get rid of all that. And then this is what he says next. He says, instead, like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word. He says, Get rid of these things and instead desire the pure milk of the word. Now, here's the deal. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, um, in you, the, the, the word of God is being preached and, and we come to it all the time. He says, but before you come to the word of God, you need to do something with your heart. You need to get your heart right as you pursue the word of God. That you can't be full of jealousy and full of envy of all these other people and then really be craving the word of God. He says, man, you gotta get your heart right. See, it's the reason sometimes <clears throat> we, I believe that we come to places like this. We come to other churches and, and people are speaking about God's word and we walk away and we're like, man, that was kind of lame. That guy... Not that great, kind of boring. There must be something wrong with them. And what Peter is saying, catch this, students. What Peter is saying, he's saying, hey, it may not actually be something wrong with the person speaking, though sometimes there are some boring people out there. Like, I get that. He says, it may not be something wrong with the person speaking. It might actually be something wrong with the heart you brought to the moment. That you're having a hard time receiving the word of God <clears throat> because you're full of hypocrisy and envy and lies and jealousy. He says, man, get your heart right. But then he says, like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word. <clears throat> that word desire feels optional. 
It feels like, um, like today your, your parents may have said, they probably didn't use these words, but this is what they meant. Hey, what kind of food do you desire? What kind of food do you want? And you're like, man, I could go for, uh, I don't know, Taco Bell or, right? I, know, I don't know if anybody said Taco Bell because yuck. But, but you, you picked your food. It was like, I could either do this or do that. <clears throat> that desire is, is so much more than that. So, so let me explain this by telling you what's been going on in my life. January 24th, my wife had our fourth child. This is a picture of our baby. His name is uh, Reed. <clears throat> do you think he looks like me? You think he looks like me? Good. Good, thank you. Actually, guy may have a good future in life. <coughs> um, <clears throat> that's Reed. He, uh, he, he's awesome, super chill at night. He's a friggin' angry animal. I, I mean, super chill in the morning and during the day, angry animal at night. Like, he's a wild beast at night. Uh, but during the day, he's like, yo, man, I'm cool, I'm cool. And I'm like, no, I know you. You're not, actually. Uh, but really good dude, really good dude. Excited to know him. Here's the deal with, with Reed. That guy, 12 times a day, sometimes more, has this internal alarm in him that goes off. And he begins to to let everyone know that something's not right. He cries, he screams, he gets very angry. 12 times a day. And what he wants, those 12 times a day, is he wants to get the attention of someone who can feed him so that he can eat. You know why he wants to eat? Why he wants to be fed? Instinctively in him, God has put instinctively in him that if he does not eat those 12 times a day, then he dies. So, so his alarm going off inside of him is not just like a hunger pain, like, man, I want a snack. His alarm going off inside of him <clears throat> that leads to him crying and screaming is literally a, a, a desire for milk that is a life and death situation. That if he does not get the attention of the one who would feed him, he dies. And what Peter says, he says, in that same manner, you and me as Christians should look at God's word and desire it in such a way as if it's a life and death situation. Why? Because the word of God is living and active and actually believers in this room breathes life into you. It's that real. He says, like a newborn baby that knows, man, if no one feeds me, I die. So I'm going to scream my lungs out until someone gets their attention set on me and then gives me what I need for life. He says, that's the desire that we should have for God's word, that we would crave it with that kind of vigor and that kind of passion. Then, and listen, he says, so that by it, you may grow in your salvation, which you have tasted that the Lord is good. He says, so that by getting into God's word, hear me, that you then would grow in your salvation. What that means is when you come to know Jesus, you're just a baby in your Christianity. You're a baby in your relationship. He says, but as you pursue God and receive the word of God, listen, you would then grow in your salvation. You would grow in your knowledge of who God is. You would grow in your knowledge of who you are in relation to God and you being a child of God now, being adopted into that family that you would grow in your salvation. 
Like this guy's like gained like five pounds since birth. That's like almost double his weight. It's not, it's not okay. I don't know what's going on with him. But it's because he's craving the milk. He's screaming. He says, and you, like newborn babies, when you crave the word of God, this leads to growth in your salvation. That you wouldn't just be content. Hear me, eyes right here. You wouldn't just be content knowing some about who God is. Yeah, I like did that thing that one time where I prayed and then like I cried a little bit and people were like high-fiving me. And I was like, yeah, I think I gave my life to Christ there. He says, no, no. And then you would crave the word of God. That it produced life in you and you would get spiritual gains off of that. He says, you would grow. He says, because you've tasted that God is good. And you would pursue that. You would pursue that flavor of goodness. Like, hear that. You may be pursuing a lot of flavors of goodness in relationships, a lot of flavors of goodness in your school, in your academics, in your acceptance by all sorts of people. You may be curving who you are so that people think you're funny or you're cool or, or, or you're, you're kind of like a, a bad kid and, and people accept you because of that. Like you may be curving who you are as a flavor of goodness thinking, man, this is good, this feels good, this tastes good. And he says, no, no, no. <clears throat> Remember, you tasted and you saw that the Lord was good. Would you crave the word of God and grow in your salvation? I mean, don't be tricked by all that other stuff. And then he says, here's what it looks like then to be the spiritual house. So he says, you as believers who have abandoned all the malice and the hate and the hypocrisy and you're craving the spiritual word of God, you understand that you are being formed into a block in the spiritual house. He says, as you then come to him, Jesus, right? He says, as you're craving the word of God, as you taste it, as you come to Jesus, who is a living stone, the living stone, who was rejected by people, who but, but chosen and honored by God, he says, you yourselves then, as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. <clears throat> you know how you offer a spiritual sacrifice? It's not by offering a physical sacrifice. A spiritual sacrifice comes from a spiritual being and you having the Holy Spirit in you means you sacrificing you in the presence of the Lord, right? That's a spiritual sacrifice. Acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He says, man, you are being built into this holy priesthood, a spiritual house. He looks at the people like I'm looking at you and he says, man, would you crave God's word? Would you know it? Because here's what Jesus is doing. He's forming you into a spiritual house, one that is not dependent on the walls, but rather on the name of Jesus. He says, man, I'm forming you into a spiritual house. Now, here's the important part then. That means that me and you were blocks in the spiritual house. Here's the thing about a block in a house, that how the block is laid and every block being where it should be matters. That when you move a block, the structural integrity of the house is in question. The house is not as strong when all the blocks are not there. 
So if you are a believer and you know who Jesus is, he's man, I'm calling you into the spiritual house to be a part of the structural integrity of this house. That people would come in to this house and find protection and find rest and find refocus and find rest. But what that means then is you've got to realize you're a block in that and you are valued and you are important and you are a part of something so much greater than what you think you are. And you're so much greater than your own mission and your own plan and something so much greater than even what the world wants to say your limits are where you may be in here and you're like, I get it. These people are great. I see that. You don't know me. I ain't that great. No, Jesus says because of him, you're that great. And you're part of the spiritual house and that you're a block in that. So one part, that means that you matter, that your position in the house matters. Now, here's the other part of that. If you are a block, you need to understand, even if you looked around this room, not all blocks just fit perfectly together. Most of the blocks had to be shaped and molded, I think kind of like an igloo. Here's a picture of an igloo. <clears throat> Don't know if you're familiar with an igloo. Um, super fascinating. <clears throat> I went on this weird research run. I found a deep, dark hole of igloo building. Uh, not that interesting. I wouldn't jump into it. I'll just explain it to you. What an igloo is, is a round around it and round on top of it. It's a sphere and usually dug out kind of in it. So it's actually taller inside than it looks. Now, here's the thing about an igloo. When you're inside an igloo, it actually can be 20 to 30 degrees warmer, even though it's made of ice and snow, 20 to 30 degrees warmer than outside. So right now, out, out in that picture right there, it's probably zero degrees outside. But inside the igloo, it could be 20, 25 degrees inside the igloo. Here's one at night, and this gives you a good picture. See, when you build an igloo, here's what the guy was saying. When you build an igloo, you start with that bottom layer, and what you have to do is you have to get every stone, and you have to begin to cut every stone so that the end angles point towards a center point. And so as you go around the circle, all the end angles point towards the center. And then, that way it makes a circle as they come together. And then you've got to cut the tops so that the top angle also points towards the center. And so as you build these blocks, you begin to cut them and mold them and angle them and you begin to form them so that when they're together, check this out, they begin to hold one another up. That the structural integrity is actually dependent on the other blocks being there. That if you walked up to that igloo, like, uh, like something I would do, right? And you knock a block out of there, like time to make a window, whole thing falls down. They all need each other but the only way they, they fit in there is that they are molded and formed. And sometimes for us as Christians, we begin to question the heart of God when God begins to do the hard work in our hearts. When he begins to, to mold you and form you, when he begins to remove toxic relationships from you, when he begins to, to, to even sometimes isolate you so that you could only focus on who he is, when he begins to do work, maybe you get injured instead of, and so you can't pursue the sports you want to pursue, and, and, and he begins to do these works and allowing things to happen in our life, that you need to know that Jesus is doing everything with a purpose, that what he is doing is he's molding you and he's forming you as he builds his spiritual house. Because here's the thing, these bricks, and this is the coolest part too, right? Is like, 
His spiritual house is a testament of who he is. That if you see a brick, this is the coolest part to me, I, I really believe. Like, if you see this brick, I actually have a few of these in my house, uh, in my yard, that the last person that had my house left a bunch of, like, random blocks. And honestly, when I look at them, I was so frustrated because I had to pick up every random block and move every random block. There's a whole pallet of these sitting over there on this property. And literally, I hear old ladies, like, every day, like, when are we going to get rid of that trash? Like, we want this place to be pretty. What they don't know is that these aren't actually random blocks. These are leftover blocks from the big construction that these are blocks that just didn't happen to get chosen to be a part of a really big building. That when you take a random block and you begin to combine it with thousands of other blocks under the hand of a grand designer, you actually can take something that's kind of an eyesore, that's kind of a nuisance, that's easily tripped over, that's easily discarded, and you build it into a structure that is amazing, that looks great, that sounds great, that, that's just awesome. That suddenly the random brick is no longer a random brick. It's part of a much greater purpose. And so Peter looks at these people and he says, he's making you into a spiritual house. There's something so much greater when we're together and when we're pursuing Christ together than you could ever do just standing on your own. And he says, in that house, in that house, Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the one that makes everything square and makes everything solid. Some of you are into the house building, right? You're building your own house. The problem is you're using a cornerstone. You're building it on something such as academics, such as your personality, such as your pride. And and the thing about that cornerstone is it's not square. It's not perfect. And if you build a house with an imperfect cornerstone, that means your house isn't square, which means your walls aren't gonna actually line up like they should. And when you put the roof on, you're gonna have gaps in it because nothing is lined up, all because of the initial cornerstone is not square. And Jesus says, I'm the cornerstone that's perfect for your life, that when you build it on me, when you build it on my principles, when you build it uh, in obedience to me, when you allow me to define and I identify you, he says, man, then you build a house that's structurally sound. He says, but when you reject it, Jesus becomes a tripping stone for you. It means that there's chaos in your life. That this is the picture, that this is the image that Peter gives as he describes to you and me about the kingdom of God in heaven and on earth. And so I'm going to just close with this. That I just want to close in with, with what does it look like to be a part of the spiritual house? What is the, what is the characteristics of this house? We know the rules to the house. That it's a place of rest, and it's a place of refocus, and it's a place of risk. But what's the characteristics of the house? What does the house actually look like? And there's four characteristics that Peter gives us of here's what this house looks like. Here it is. He says, the spiritual house, number one, is for all people. He says, it's for for all people. He says, the spiritual house has authority in our world. The spiritual house has authority in our world. The spiritual house has structure, that there's, there's reason behind the way it's built. And the spiritual house has a purpose that it has structure, it's not easily knocked over, it has a purpose, that there's, there's a plan and a purpose 
for the spiritual house. And here's how he says it. This is how he says it. He looks at these people who he says, hey, you are living stones who are being built by the living stone. And he says this. He says, but you are a chosen race. Meaning that there is no dominant race, that there is no uh, uh, one is better than the other. He says, no, no, this is a chosen race. It's a new race. It's for all people. And then he says, and it's a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood, meaning that it has kingly authority and spiritual authority, meaning that you have authority to come to God on behalf of others, that you have an authority in this world as part of the spiritual house to ask God to intervene in places and intervene for people and to do a work that you could never do. And here's the coolest part, is God answers that. And he's working in that. And then he says, and you're a holy nation. That it has structure like a nation, that you're under a new government, that your primary residence is not in America in 2022. No, your primary residence as believers is with the kingdom of God. You just happen to be in America in 2022 to represent the spiritual house here in this place. And then he says, and you are a people for his possession, meaning that you have been bought at a price, that you are not your own. Why? Why did he buy you at a price? Why did he make you into a spiritual house? Why did he give you purpose and structure and authority? And why is it for all people? And he says this. This is verse nine. He says, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He says that you would be a hearer and a doer. In verse 10, he says, and once and once you were not a people. And once you were in the world all on your own, and some of you are that way even tonight, that you don't know Jesus, you haven't trusted Jesus, Jesus is kind of foreign to you, but what you need to understand is he's saying, I'm inviting you to be a part of a spiritual house. I'm inviting you to be a part of the kingdom of God. I'm inviting you in to be a son and a daughter of God through Jesus. He says, but once you are not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy mercy, that this is the characteristics of a spiritual house. This is the characteristics of the bricks that make up the house. He says, man, as the people of God, not just River Oaks student ministry, not just in these buildings, but no, as the people of God collectively, he says, man, you are living stones for a purpose. So where do you start? What, What do you do now? And I'm going to read something that the Lord just laid on my heart this week as, as I came um, to spend some time with God just in my own. I, honestly, like if I'm being really transparent, like I had a lot of anger in my heart in that moment. I had a lot of fear in my heart. I had some anxiety in my heart. Like literally, my, I was just, my mind and my heart were just in a dark place. They were just in a dark place. And I opened up God's word to like where I was reading. And this is what I read. Just check it real quick. And then we're going to go... <clears throat> Psalms 96, one through three, it says, sing a new song to the Lord. Boom. What? Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. He says, what's the new song? That you would bless his name. That you would proclaim his salvation from day to day. What's the new song? That you would declare his glory among the nations, his wondrous works among all people. He says, you want to know the new song? 
one where you're blessing his name and not your own. See, if I'm honest in that moment, a lot of that had to do with my own justifications. A lot of the heart issue that I had had to do with my own um, insecurities, had to, had to do with the things that I thought should, people should be doing and what I thought was right. It had a lot to do with my frustrations with other people that I really couldn't control. And now let me tell you, when I came to this, he says, the song of your heart is rotten. And Caleb, why don't you sing a new song? I want the words to go like this. I'm just going to tell you as honestly as I can tell you that since reading that, the Lord has reminded me of that every day. And every day, like, like, like literally it's like a weight off my shoulder where it's like, I don't have to carry those things. I don't have to carry the anxieties. I don't have to carry the stresses of someone else's actions. I don't have to carry their, their bad decisions. I don't have to carry any of that. No, no. He says, no, as you a spiritual house, as you a brick, here's what I'm calling you to do. Just sing a new song. Just sing a new song. Would you just proclaim the glory of God whenever you can, wherever you can? Sing a new song. And so I would just challenge you with that. What is the song of your heart right now? As part of the spiritual house, as a brick in this place, what's the song of your heart? Is it one that sings of, of God's rest and the way he refocuses and, and, the, and the way that he calls us to risk but then yet protects us in and calls us to, to rest again? Like, like what's the song of your heart? If it's not this, I would challenge you to ask God, God, change the song of my heart. May it be about your salvation. I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna go to our community groups and kind of talk about that. God, I love you. Thank you for loving us well. Thank you for my friends here. God, thank you. Uh, not only have you, you called us yours, not only do we find salvation in you, God, but then you purpose us. God, may we be a spiritual house that is full of joy and full of peace and full of patience, that is accepting and kind and unified. Or would we be burdened for our friends and for our family and for our neighbors and for those that do not know you or who are destined for an eternity away from you? Would you give us a burden? God, would we feast on your word and would we grow in our salvation? God, would we abandon hypocrisy and envy and anger and would we run to you? Give us the strength in that, Lord. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us so well. We pray all this in Jesus' name.